Welcome to Out on a Limb, where traditional finance and the new digital economy converge with a sense of history. My name is Tim Enneking, and this is episode 30 of Out on a Limb. Today is April 4th, 2023, and it is approximately 3.15 p.m. San Diego time or Pacific Standard Time. So today we're going to discuss three topics, a bit of a of a hodgepodge of topics since we're all in the post-bank meltdown, both in the U.S. to some degree and definitely in Switzerland. So uh, a couple of interesting uh, topics, three to be precise. The first is something I haven't done before, and that is, quote, uh, another individual who uh, had something, from my perspective, very interesting to say. On the 28th of March, a Brazilian billionaire, and pardon my pronunciation of his name, but Andreas Stevas, he's the uh, founder and chairman of one of the largest banks in Brazil. And it was great because what he said is that, quote, any junior analyst, unquote, from Latin America would have known how to manage the interest rate risk of Silicon Valley uh, Bank's balance sheet to avoid its collapse. He was talking at uh, an event in San Diego, Chile, and the, this next quote, I think, is worth uh, reading in full. The volatility roiling global markets is a result of 15 years of complacency during near-zero interest rates that led to widespread excesses. People were caught off guard when rates suddenly spiked and didn't have the real-life experience on how to, the, how to manage those risks. He went on to say that quote, my, his point is not quote, that SVB were morons and Latin American interns are smart, his point was, quote, SVB had 15 years of low and stable interest rates and Latin American interns did not. If you've never encountered interest rate risk, you might forget how to manage it. I love the quote because it really, the key word in all of that, aside from being more than a little bit amusing, is complacency. Uh, Many People in, uh, in their, say, early 30s or somewhere in their 30s have only had a professional life where money was cheap and prices went up. They've never encountered uh, any sort of down, significant downside since, obviously, the 2008-2009 crisis. If you're a bit older than that, like I am, you've seen a lot of crises come and go. And I think that's one of the reasons why my batting average on out on a limb predictions is quite high, because I'm not reacting to what happened today or yesterday. I'm looking at things from a bit further away with a bit more of a long-term perspective. And I think Mr. Estevez is absolutely right that a junior person in a high interest rate and high inflation rate company would have managed this very well. As I mentioned a couple times, I lived quite a number of years in Moscow, left there about eight, nine years ago. And there was, during several periods uh, of time while I lived there, there was uh, hyperinflation. And it amazed me how well people, the economy, stores, everyone, individuals adapted to a hyperinflationary environment. You get used to it. And I'll come back to human ingenuity in a second. The second topic is probably going to be the title for today's uh, podcast called, and it's Bad Breath and Mean Reversion. Now, uh, I learned a new term. I wasn't familiar with the term bad breath on Wall Street. And bad breath means that you have a couple of outliers that are really driving the overall market, 
but it, it's hiding a real problem, hence the name bad breath. So here we have a couple of interesting statistics. The S&P 500 in Q4 was up 5.5%. The S&P 500 in Q1, obviously Q4 of 2022, Q1 of 2023, was up 7.8%. And that's on a market cap weighted basis, which is how the S&P 500 is calculated. If, however, you were to take the S&P's movement on an equally weighted basis, so the smallest stock uh, carries as much weight as the largest stock. You can equate it to the U.S. Senate, if you will. Everything is equally weighted. The S&P would have been unchanged in Q4 and Q1. Quite a stunning statistic. And the difference is simply, or the reason is simply because certain stocks like Meta, NVIDIA, AMD were out between 50 and 87%, while most stocks we're down. So the headline number you see on the S&P is actually misleading. And it's convincing a lot of people to jump into stocks and to buy dips where that's not necessarily what makes the most sense. So again, I'm not peddling investment advice here. Certainly don't have a horse in the, uh, or a dog in this hunt, horse in the race, pick your metaphor. But be careful because DYOR, do your own research, applies more than ever. We are no longer in an environment where everything is going to go up unceasingly. Uh, as I've said earlier, I think the, the last time was several months ago, but it bears repeating, is we are in a stock picker, or if you're in a crypto market, in a token picker market. Uh, stock pickers will do well. General index funds and people focusing on index indices will do less well. The same in the, in the crypto space. You need to select your stocks, select your tokens very carefully. Now, in the crypto space, the, the sort of the equivalent of bad breath in today's market is what's called mean reversion. It's very interesting what's going on now, and, and we've rarely seen this. It's sometimes happened back in the early teens, but it hasn't happened since then. And that is where you really have a break in the growth uh, of different tokens. So in Q4, for instance, you had BTC up 22%. You had Ethereum up 14%. You had the market up 10%. So you had two enormous gaps. And I explain why. That's because of the flight to quality, I suppose, or the, the flight away from fear that fiat markets were providing because of the banking crisis, and that banking crisis spread, o spread over into stable coins. So folks couldn't, didn't want to go into USDC in particular, but some of that spread over into USDT, rationally or otherwise. And so people went into a flight for quality within crypto. So the vast majority of the money went into BTC, some went into Ethereum, because Ethereum sometimes behaves like BTC, like it separated itself from the pack, and sometimes it's just another altcoin. And you had uh, Bitcoin skyrocket almost 6% in terms of dominance from 41 and change to 46 and change in like three weeks. Uh, the equal, the largest increase in Bitcoin dominance in the history of Bitcoin, which is saying something given its early volatility. That has now started to reverse, hence mean reversion. You have Bitcoin that as I speak is down to 45.9. So it's not down all that much, but Ethereum growth is now almost to 20%, and it was it had dropped down to below 18. And so what you have today, for instance, just for the month of April, so it's the fourth, we don't have a lot behind us, but just for the month of April, Bitcoin is down 1%, 
and Ethereum is up about 3.5%. So the mean reversion is already starting to take place. Interestingly, that's not the same of altcoins. So in other words, the, 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 those tokens below BTC and ETH are not moving up in mass as they often do. Uh, BNB, which is the, the token of Binance, actually got crushed yesterday because the, someone started spreading a rumor that that CZ who owns, who owns uh, Binance was wanted uh, by Interpol, which turned out to be completely a rumor and it's recovered. But the, the general alts environment has not moved nearly as much as Ethereum has in April. So you're starting to see a bit of mean reversion, at least with respect to ETH, but with the alts, it hasn't happened yet. So the odds are, given how these things work, have worked in the past, is that you're going to see Bitcoin slow down, and that's probably already started. And you'll see the, the movements in ETH probably spread to more altcoins. But that being said, I, I go back to what I said earlier, and that is it is a token picker's environment in the same way that it's a stock picker's environment. And I don't think we're going to see a mass moving upward of alts in the same way that we have very often in the past. So there you have bad breath and mean reversion. Uh, the third point and the last point is recession in 2023. And this is kind of an extension of what I've talked about before. People who make predictions, or dare I say it, other people who make predictions move them around a lot. And so they're, they're right very often because they keep changing what they're, what they're predicting based on the, the latest news. Citibank being, the, being a really dramatic example of that in terms of what it's predicting. So as you know, I predicted 25 in February, or sorry, 50 in February, I was wrong there. I predicted 25 in March, I'm still predicting 25 in May. All the moving around, I think, is just honestly so much noise, including yesterday's news, which, which was OPEC Plus cutting a million, another million barrels per day out of, out of production because uh, the oil market's loose enough that I don't think that's going to have a major effect, to say nothing of people you know, violating their agreements to, to cut production or to keep production at a certain level, which is, has always been rampant in OPEC and in OPEC+. Plus. So the odds of recession in 2023, I see again the, the, a 25 BIP increase in May. That will probably be it. Uh, uh, June, I've, I, I just haven't been able to, I just don't have a feeling for it. Um, and so I was kind of leaning toward making a call for 25 bips and leaning against. So I've been wishy-washy on, on June, just don't have a feel for it. Um, but it's been very, very clear for the others and, and I've been reasonably correct with, with those. Um, in terms of interest rates going down again, Wall Street is effectively pricing in a fairly large, some people have called for up to 1.5% uh, decrease in interest rates this year. I do not see that happening. I don't see any a decrease happening. I, I'm still calling for decreases in Q1 2024. Uh, inflation is still high. It's it's gotten down from crazy heights, but it's being stumbered depending on which indicator you look at around 5 and 6%. And even though it's not the U.S., uh, inflation in the U.K. hit an all-time high last week. Food prices went up 15.6%, an insane number. And while Countries sometimes try to ex export inflation through manipulating currency rates, uh, which is what, essentially what interest rates do. They affect currency. They affect exchange rates. 
Um, the, whether the UK is trying to do that or not, and the inflation is also very high in the EU, high inflation has a tendency to spread around. So I don't think the Fed is going to have an easy time dropping interest rates. The only reason I don't call for more increases after May is because with a six to nine month delay between an interest rate increase and its total impact or complete impact on the real economy, we haven't seen anywhere near all the impact of the four consecutive 75 basis point increases last year, followed by the 50 basis point increase in December. We, have, we haven't felt all of that. So there is a chance with you know, decreasing demand, with employment numbers looking a little worse, with uh, the banking uh, mini crisis, if you will, having scared some folks, um, and consumer debt already being, again, very high after a, a, a record uh, low during, or savings was at a record high during, during COVID, uh, I, uh, I don't think that we're going to see massive increases, but I also don't think we're going to see decreases while the Fed sits on the sidelines a bit and waits to see what the impact of the, of the past uh, interest rate increases has been. The other reason I don't think we're going to have a recession in 2023 is what I said before about the ingenuity of the human race, and that is never underestimate the creativity of the human race. If you go back to 208 and 209, uh, a lot of economists were calling for just the, the end of the world as we know it because of the severity of what has now been called or been baptized the Great Recession as opposed to the Great Depression. And that is because people who called for that we're thinking that, okay, central banks are going to behave the exact same way they did during the Great Depression. No, uh, they don't have any more tools other than what they've used in the past. Wrong. And central banks with QE found an amazing way to get out of uh, 2008, 2009. So that we're paying for that QE now with higher interest rates and some QT, but that only makes sense. And the recession that we may or may not have going forward is not going to be anything like um, what the Great Recession would have been, it would have been the Second Great Depression had central banks not intervened. So then my last point with respect to recession in 2023 is a lovely, uh, it's, a, it's a, a mildly amusing joke, but it also has a lot of truth in it, as most good jokes do, and that is economists have predict nine of the past six recessions. And that really, I think, is what's going on now. Even if we have technically a recession, which is defined as two consecutive quarters of, of dropping uh, GDP or of lower GDP, it's going to be at what, what most economists call a tactical recession. So it's not something that's really going to be felt too much by the real economy. But yes, the tactical measures of GDP, which you know, people can argue about how accurate they are, particularly in the, age, in the computer age and the work from home age and the crypto age and everything else. So we may have a technical recession, but we're not going to have any sort of serious recession that's really going to affect the uh, economy. If we have one, it'll probably be late this year, but I don't think it's, uh, uh, I'm not even certain at all we'll have one in my call right now. My guess right now is that we will not have one because there is just too much strength in various corners of the economy. And with that, pretty much a, an interesting miscellaneous bag of different topics. I will wish you a, a good day or good evening or I suppose good morning, depending on where you are, and we'll speak again in a week. Thank you very much.